the black members is the first to change that perspective in the communities in the societies in the minds of the men that have been doing this job for that long that also women can be in this industry and they can do the job hi i'm jay ruderman and welcome to all about change a podcast showcasing individuals who leverage the hardships that have been thrown at them to better other people's lives they um, put mental health first because if you don't... This generation of Americans has already had enough. I stand before you not as an expert, but as a concerned citizen. On the western side of the Greater Kruger National Park sits the Oliphant's West Nature Reserve. It's the home of what's known as the Big Five. The African elephant, lion, leopard, Cape buffalo and the rhino. It's also home to a group dedicated to keeping those animals safe. They're known as the Black Mambas. One thing that sets the Mambas apart, they're a force formed entirely of women. For us, it's every animal. Whether it's a rabbit, whether it's an elephant, big or small, we're protecting all the animals. Gender doesn't define what we can do. Our gender is just a gender. I'm just a female, a person is a male, but then when it comes to the job, it depends on how determined I am to do the job, then I can get it done. That's Chikani Nungmalo, a ranger with the Black Mambas. The group's primary goal is to keep rhinos safe from poachers, many of whom are the ranger's neighbors. While that could make dynamics tense between the two groups, Chikani has an incredible depth of empathy for the situation the poachers are in value the lives of the animals that we're protecting. That is how we, we value the lives of the poachers that are coming in here. Some are there because they just want that little meat to feed their families. Some are there because they want that meat to sell so they can take their children to schools. If I can come to you, you, you're not working, you need the money. And I tell you that, okay, go into a reserve, get me a rhino horn and I'll give you 10,000. Some people have never touched 10,000. So they'll just go because they need the money. That dedication to the communities they're part of extends past the rangers' patrols. The Black Mambas also run an education initiative to bring the love of wildlife into local classrooms. For me, it's a long-term investment because they're going to go home and tell their fathers or their uncles who are poachers, people should stop poaching because the animals are going instinct. And when I grow up, I want to be a ranger. Like, I think that gives parents the platform to start sitting down and thinking that, okay, if I kill all the animals, where's my child going to work? Underlying all their work is a commitment to the wildlife and ecosystems that have been there longer than we have. So, Chikani, welcome to All About Change. It's my honor to have you as a guest today, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So for those listeners who are not familiar with uh, your organization or hearing about it for the first time, in your words, can you tell us who the Black Mambas are? Okay, so the Black Mambas is an organization like the first organization, which is an all-female that was started in 2013, which is really working on uplifting women in the rural communities, like women who are not working and mostly women because uh, we've grown in a society where 
it was like all about men in this industry. Women couldn't do this job. Women were not even seen anyway doing this job. But then the black members is the first to change that perspective in the communities, in the societies, in the minds of the men that have been doing this job for that long, that also women can be in this industry and they can do the job. What is the significance of an all-woman force? Um... For me, I think that with women, we do everything like wholeheartedly. Whatever that we put our mind to, we, we, we make sure that we get it done. And we have like all those qualities that we can nature. Like from the children that we have from home, we know how to be mothers to those children. And then it goes to like every child in the community, it goes to the animals that we're busy taking care of. And it goes to every person in the community because when we go back home, we don't stay with the information that we have. We make sure that if it's a child, I teach that child. I make sure that the child, when they're with their friends, they talk about it. If I'm talking to an elder, we do talk about preserving nature. We do talk about taking care of natural resources, taking care of the animals. So I think with women, we are just gifted in that. And Chikani, you mentioned that traditionally the field of conservation is a male-dominated field and that the Black yes. Mambas are challenging gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced any pushback because you are a group of all women? We have. Um, with the group that I came after, they got remarks such as, what are those women thinking? Because we were trained at ProTrek, which is, uh, okay, before us, it had never trained women, ever. So we're the first group of women trained by men, trained by ProTrek, which is a training facility that men are running away from. So we're women, we're still going there, whereas men were running away from that place, but we're still going there. And... Even now from people who are just, I can say narrow-minded because it's not really about gender. Our gender doesn't define what we can do. Our gender is just a gender. I'm just a female, a person is a male. But then when it comes to the job, it, de it depends on how determined I am to do the job, then I can get it done. So tell me about the training that, that you receive before you go into the park. What what type of education do you go through in, in order to, to do this job? So, <laughs> okay, our job requires us to be physically fit. That is like the first thing first. We have to be physically fit. And um, the training that we went to, <laughs> if I had to go again or if I had to save somebody, I'd never go there again. We did a semi-military training. Uh, where we were taught how to trek, we're taught how to identify tracks of animals, how to report the tracks of animals, how to report tracks of human beings, how to back trek if we find tracks of human beings inside the reserve. Uh, we're also taught how to read the bush because immediately you're inside the bush, you have to know since we're not using any firearms, you have to know, like, if I find a, 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 a elephant, what do I have to do? Do you run? Because there's no running in the bush. So they were teaching all that. 
And then they were also making sure that we were physically fit. We'd run for, for, for 12 kilometers a day uh, with just a little bottle of water. would exercise like so bad. But then it was good because it took the we can't from our mindset. It took the doubts that uh, we came with from the society, the doubts that people were talking, that we are not going to make it. We will run away. Even men ran away from that training. But then it took away those thoughts. And we, we had that mindset of we can do it. If others that were members before us did this training and succeeded, then that means that we can do it also. So tell me, what is an average day look like? What, what do you do day to day? So we, we kind of do different things depending on where we are needed. But then the fence line is our top priority because it's where we have to put our boots on the ground. And most of the time, it's where the poachers are coming in from. So we're making sure that every time they try coming in, they will see that, okay, uh, this place is being looked after. The women are already here. So we put our boots in the fence line, which is the, the first line of detection for us. And some days we do snare sweeping. Uh, we go into the bushes because... The poachers, whether it's bushmeat, whether it's the other poachers, they go into the bush, they put snares. And most of our, of our animals are getting killed by those snares because uh, most of them are there to kill. They're not just there to just trap the animal and they come take the animal away. We just find some animals killed. And some of the days we do roadblocks. We do searches in, at the gate, making sure that uh, most of the time we have contractors that are working inside the reserve that we're working in. So we're making sure that they don't come in with anything that should not be inside the reserve. And also making sure that when they go out, they are going with nothing that is uh, belongs to the reserve. So in the morning, we, we walk the fence line, checking if the fence is not cut, no animals are going under the fence, making sure that there are no tracks coming in or going out. And then at night, we are going in a vehicle with our spotlights, making sure that we're shining, also still checking the fence line. And which animals are you trying to protect? I, I know that, that there's a focus on rhinos. Are you trying to protect other animals in the park? I think for us, it's all the animals. Uh, we just have that priority of saying like the rhino is the most endangered. We have pangolins, we have um, elephants, which they're, they're targeting the tusk or the ivory. So depending on what the people that are coming to poach are looking for, because we also have bushmeat poachers, so they can't be coming for an elephant. It's too big for them if they're just going to feed their family. So they'll be coming for also the small antelopes. So for us, it's every animal. Whether it's a rabbit, whether it's an elephant, big or small, we're protecting all the animals. I see. And tell me about a poacher. What is a poacher doing in the park? What is their target? Some are there because after we just came out from the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people lost their jobs. And some are there because they just want that little meat to feed their families. Some are there because they want that meat to sell so they can take their children to schools. But then some are just there because they are greedy. If I can come to you, you, you're not working, you need the money. And I tell you that, okay, go into a reserve, get me a rhino horn and I'll give you 10,000. Some people have never touched 10,000. 
So they'll just go because they need the money. So I think the motive behind it for every poacher is different. Whoever is being sent to get the rhino horn is not really the person who's going to sell the rhino horn. They're just being the scapegoat for whatever happens in the reserve. I'll just get another person to replace that person so that we can get what we want. So have you, on your patrols, have you seen animals caught in snares? I've seen one, but then we found it dead. I've seen a buffalo that was trapped in a snare. Uh, luckily, it was able to pull the snare in the tree that it was tied in, and it was able to move from where it was it was trapped to a different place. So we're able to just track it down by the branches of the trees that were were being dragged on the on the ground and how the legs were moving because we could see from how the legs were moving that. Uh, one leg is injured and then the other legs are still fine. So we found it dead, unfortunately. So Chikani, tell us your personal story. How did you grow up and, and what made you decide to become a member of the Black Mambas? I, I come from a very big family in a village called Lamalani in Bushbuck Ridge, which is in Pumalanga. I grew up with my dad since... Um, he separated with my mother, and my mother was in Limpopo in Palavura. Um, I've always had a desire to serve. So for me, it was not really about nature. I just wanted to find myself somewhere where I'll be serving. I became a Black Mamba in 2019. I heard about it, and I was not doing anything. It was after I was done with my diploma in public management. And then I, I got the opportunity. I heard about it like, okay, there are ladies who are working inside a reserve called the Black Mambas. They're doing a very good job. So for me, it was that thing that, okay, I want to be part of that change. The change that they're making out there, the, the role models they are in the community to children and to other women that are there in the community. And I applied. <laughs> And when I got to the interview, I didn't even know what to say the black members are. I remember I was asked, um, do you know anything about the black members? And I told them that, yeah, I know a black member. A black member is a very dangerous snake. Like, that is all I knew. But uh, with being here, I've learned a lot from the training, from working with the people that were here before, and from everybody else. I've learned a lot, and I'm still learning. How did you first hear about the group? They took it to the community. So our reserve is near the, the, the community of Palabura. So every time they want people, they, they take the post to, to, to the community in a way of trying to uplift from that community or from that rural area. So when they took the post to Palabura, luckily I had visited my mom and then I, I heard about the post. I was doing nothing. So I just had to give it a try. And here I am. So with this um, difficult job, you know, what motivates you to keep going? <laughs> I've never loved failing at anything I do. Um regardless of if it's something that I'm sure that I'm going to uh, do and do it well, or if it's something that I'm just trying out. But also, I, I have a very supportive family, like super, super supportive. So it's more of the thing that they didn't believe that I would do it. But then at the end, 
I managed to change how they looked at everything because, you know, TV shows a, a whole different scenario from, from real life and they'll just see a lion on TV attacking a person, but then it's not really that case. So I managed to change how they looked at it and now, like, they're very supportive. So I have that thing in me that, okay, uh, before letting myself down, I don't want to let them down. That's wonderful. Let's talk about going into the park. You're going into the park on foot in pairs. Yes. You do not have a weapon with you. Mm-hmm. There are poachers in the park that do have weapons. And yes. you're facing some of the strongest animals in the world. Elephants, lions, buffalo, uh, leopards. How do you feel safe walking into a park with all of those threats all around you? For me, being inside the park, I've learned to live my conscience in my room. Um, The minute I go into the park, I know that all the animals are there. It's more of remembering what to do when you're inside the bush because it starts with listening, like using our senses. If I go inside the bush, I don't listen to anything. I don't check the animal tracks. You can just past tracks and then a lion just passed there or you can just be walking and you're not listening and a lion is roaring and if you can hear it in time or detect it in time you'd be able to get saved or turn back or do something but then if you're not using all those senses like if you're not using the education that you were taught a training the the the, the teachings that you were taught how to read the bush, how to read the animal's behavior, then it becomes very hard. And with poachers, I've never had an encounter, but every track that we find, we make sure we report. Even if it's a boot, as long as it doesn't look like my boot, then it's not supposed to be there. I report. And the team that is supporting, like when we report every time, is always, always, always always on point because every time we report they are they so it makes it very simple that even if i come across something they'll be here in a minute and what is the reason that you do not carry a weapon for us the reason why we don't carry weapons is that as much as we value the lives of the animals that we're protecting that is the how we we value the lives of the poachers that are coming in here and with us also the, the reserve is much nearer to the, the villages that we are coming from. So it's very much possible that the poacher that is coming into the reserve is my neighbor or it's someone that I know. And we are avoiding that thing of going back to a very angry, vengeful community or kids that want to revenge uh, rangers who have killed their father who was maybe trying to feed them or maybe trying to take them to school. Why is it better that you patrol without guns than having a weapon? I think it goes back to us remembering everything that we were taught. Because if we were to check the statistics, I think a lot of rangers are getting killed out there with guns. A lot. Because every time I come across a situation, I'm not going to stand and think or read the bush or check the animal's behavior because... Yes, I'm going to find an elephant that is angry already. And that doesn't mean that I have to shoot it. I can just, maybe if I see it from a distance, I just turn back and just leave it there. 
So it goes back to us having to remember that, okay, if an elephant is doing this and that, I have to do this or I just have to go back. If I see tracks of a lion, I report and I have to go back. That decreases the number of animals that were shot by rangers because um, maybe they were in close range or the animals were trying to attack or anything. So it goes back to us uh, remembering it's more of us learning every day because if you learn today and then you don't practice what you have learned in time you forget so with us every time we are refreshing what we have learned in training we are refreshing what from experience we've come across and uh had to act upon that situation or had to do something so we are remembering and uh, refreshing the teachings that we were taught that if if uh, an animal is doing this you do that if you see a track of, of a human being you you report fast and then backup will be there they don't have to be any shootings because obviously the backup does have um uh firearms so they they know what to do they were trained for that but for us we have to remember and then just report everything i see and have you ever while you're on patrol i know you say you never you've never encountered a, a poacher but have you encountered the big five while you were were in the in the park countlessly so i remember this one time we came across lions i couldn't even count how many lions there were and we were just two so what happened is we walked the fence like twice we we, we go the other way and come back and when we passed we didn't see anything so it's uh, the reserve is near the r40 which is a national road which sometimes gets very busy so you can get disrupted easily but then we do look and listen and everything and observe but that day we just uh we came across two buffaloes and they were on the, the way that we had to pass on and uh, we reported like immediately that okay there are two buffaloes we are not sure if we're gonna make it past them and uh, they told us to go back and fetch the car we, we turned back and as we were turning back when we got to where the lions were I, I don't know something told me to look on my right hand side and when I looked they were just sitting there looking at us a, a lot of lions <laughs> a lot um, in, in a ditch somewhere and uh, I told the one that I was with I just held her hand and said stop let's go back a bit and then we went back I told her like okay don't be alarmed look on my right hand side so let me just understand You're, the, the fence line the, the fence is electrified yes and you have a a pride of lions. There's a, there's a there's a large group of lions, and you yes. see some buffalo, which are also dangerous. Yes. Were you were you fearful that you could be attacked either by the lions or the buffalo? At the time, I wasn't. What's funny is that we are there to protect those animals, but then they're also attacking us who are protecting them. For me, it was more of an adventure. The way they were so chilled, like I got that confirmation that, okay, they are not even going to come here. They looked like they just ate, so they were full. I see. Yes. I see. Let's talk about 
community engagement. You work closely with the communities that are adjacent to protected areas and, and you work to build trust and educate them about the importance of protecting the wildlife. How does that work? How do you work with the communities and do you experience any pushback from the communities? So we have a program called the Bush Babies Environmental Education, which is working with 11 schools in Palavora. Uh, we have like seven environmental monitors or teachers that are going to the schools every day teaching about environmental education. And we also have bush grannies, which are the grannies that are in the communities. They also have like a lot of information about what has been happening long ago before we even knew about all this. So they are also helping with teaching their kids what they know, teaching us also what they know. And uh, we have camps for the kids and the grannies. And sometimes we do take them to, to, to the Kruger National Park because it gets really hard if we have to teach the kids how to protect animals they have never seen or if we have to teach the grannies how they have to protect a rhino if they've never seen one. They just know a cow and a goat because it's domestic animals. So you're telling me that, that people who live close to the fence, close to the border of, of the parks, many of them have never seen the wildlife in the parks. Many of the children or or the adults have never been in the parks or, or seen this wildlife? For them, they just know that this is a park. They've never went there. So it's it's very much important that they are taken into the park so they can see all those animals. But then for most of them, for most of the kids, uh, most of the parents don't have the money to take their kids because it's transport. Sometimes you have to pay to go into the Kruger National Park. So now that you've had a chance um, through your work to bring, you know, children into the parks to to educate, do they then feel like they've become stakeholders in the conservation efforts? I think they do. They they feel like involved in what we are doing. They feel uh, included. And do you see a difference between, let's say? 2013 and now in terms of rhino poaching and and the difference that since the, the Black Mambas have been in existence, do you see a difference in what's happening in terms of poaching? I can say I see a very huge difference because uh, when we were starting out in 2013, a day would come back with 70 to 80 snares a day. But then now it has gone back to maybe two or three. And we, 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 we were able to remove 1,471 snares. So when you're on patrol, I understand a big part of your, of, of your job is to take the snares and to remove them and take them out of the park. Yes. In terms of the economics, and you talked about people being paid $10,000 for a rhino horn um, or, you know, providing bushmeat to their family so they can eat. There's a lot of money at stake. How do you think the Black Mambas have been able to combat this problem, you know, in terms of economics and, and, and in terms of, uh, of helping that dynamic? So when the, the pandemic started, we had a program, uh, a food parcel program 
where we're going into the community, uh, we're asking for, 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 for donations, like through our donors, um, so we can get the food parcels to take to the people in the community, mostly people that are not working and mostly people that have lost their jobs during the pandemic. So I think that has lessened the number, like it has decreased because they don't have to go out into the reserve trying to feed their families since they're getting the food parcels. Chikani, can you tell us uh, a story of, of maybe your favorite moment on the job? I think having to go back to the community and teaching the kids. Uh, one thing about teaching the kids is that they never forget. Like it's always there. Even if they're playing, they play with what you taught them. And for me, it's a long-term investment because they're going to go home and tell their fathers or their uncles who are poachers also that, okay, today soldiers came to our school because we are called soldiers because of our uniform. And yes, like when I grow up one day, I want to be like her. Yeah, people should stop poaching because um, the animals are going instinct. And when I grow up, I want to be a ranger. Like, I think that gives parents the platform to start sitting down and thinking that, okay, if I kill all the animals, where's my child going to work? Uh, so that is like one phenomenal moment. I can say I'll do it every day if I had to. Like I'll, I'll teach the kids every day. I'll be talking to the kids every day about preserving nature. I'll teach the kids every day uh, about if you cut a tree, you plant another one because those are natural resources. So this is a, a sort of a larger macro question, but um, what are your thoughts on the global fight against wildlife trafficking? And what are your hopes for the future of rhinos and other threatened wildlife in Africa and, and abroad? I'd, I'd really, really, really plead with people to, to really stop the, the poaching because as much as I am protecting the, 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 the rhino, I don't want tomorrow or next year or after five years to have a child and tell the child stories of animals they can't see because the animal has gone extinct. So I want to to uh, show my grandchildren of that animal that I once protected, that animal that once chased me, although I was there because of it and there for the good of protecting it. So do you see more wildlife now when you're in the park than you did maybe a few years ago? Yes. Now I see a lot more of wildlife. When we are at work, it has become our little safari because when we're moving around, we come across elephants, we come across lions, we come across uh, rhinos. So I see a lot because while I was still at home, it was not every day that I'll just wake up and decide to go into the Kruger National Park to see the animals. It, it'll be maybe when I was in primary school, it'll be maybe once or twice a year on a school trip. And then you'd hear them screaming, oh, lion. And then that time the lion is gone already. You can't even see it. And what do you think that you're capable right now in your life of doing that you could not have done before you became a black mamba? Um, I'd never go into a reserve unarmed. <laughs> that is one. Uh, and I'd never just walk there. 
knowing very well that I might come across uh, like one of the big fives. That is one thing I'd never do. But then now I do it and I'm super comfortable when I'm inside the bush because I know that is the work I chose. I know that is something that I'm doing and I'm passionate about. So like nobody has to wake up in the morning, motivate me like, okay, get up and go to work. I wake up for myself. Like I wake up knowing that I'm going to make a change out there. So yes, I'm going. I see. And what is the impact of, of what you do or the fact that the Black Mambas exist at all? What's the impact on the lives of women and girls in the communities that you come from? I think we've given them their voice back. Uh, mostly with this industry and other industries that were male-dominant. We've given them a voice back. We've given them that desire of saying that if they can do it, that means we can do it also. And we've given children a, a path to see because uh, while we were growing up, we didn't know that there are a lot of opportunities in tourism, which includes this one that we are doing. But now we, we, we know that and we are taking the word back home to tell them that even if you don't want to be a black mamba, then you can be a guide. You can be something in, in, in tourism, in conservation. You can be someone. Hmm. So where do you see the conservation efforts, let's say five years from now? You think things will be better? Yes, I think things will, will be very much better because uh, we as rangers and everybody in conservation, we are building that awareness and people are getting more and more aware, more and more involved in wanting to save the, uh, the nature in wanting to protect the environment. So in five years time, uh, I, I think people will be like they working together uh, to combat poaching. And what changes do you hope to see, like maybe on an international level in terms of the conservation effort? Well, first of all, I can say that um, I'm, I'm actually hoping and waiting to see more female rangers, um, whether they are armed or unarmed, but then more female rangers. Uh, that is one thing that I can say I'm hoping that I can see or there can be a change, like that women are represented in this area. That's beautiful. If our listeners want to support the work of the Black Mambas or to be involved in the cause of rhino conservation, what do you suggest they do? They can follow our pages on Instagram, on Facebook, on the Black Mambas APU, or they can follow Transfrontier Africa. So, Chikani, thank you so much. First of all, I want to thank you for all the hard work that you do for your motivation and for trying to make our world a better place and conserve the animals that are so beautiful and part of our world. So they're around for generations to come. So thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate your time. And thank you for being my guest on All About Change. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. The Black Mambas are as innovative as they are impressive. Slowing the rate of poaching at Kruger is a tall order, but one the women of the Mambas are equipped to handle. That's it for today's episode. Join us two weeks from today for my talk with Academy Award-winning actor 
and tireless advocate for the deaf community, Troy Kotzer. Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Shasson, with story editing by Yochai Metal and Mijan Zulu. To check out more episodes or to learn more about the show, you can visit our website, allaboutchangepodcast.com. If you like our show, spread the word, tell a friend or family member, or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. We'd really appreciate it. All About Change is produced by the Ruderman Family Foundation in partnership with Pod People. That's all for now. I'm Jay Ruderman, and we'll see you next time on All About Change. Au revoir, but not good.